0: This sort of um, academic lifer, who's just perfect, isn't he? He's just—he yeah. <laughs> he is exactly who you meet when you go to when you go to enrol at university. It looks like that's going to be the way it goes until, Liana like, Mormont. Yeah. Another moment. She, <laughs> she might as well have fat favorite tattooed
1: on her forehead. <laughs> this
0: kid, so, hey. this was this was the point where, as he said it, I was like,
1: oh, he's on. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there were so many satisfying moments like this, weren't there, in this series? Yeah. Where you were
0: like, Oh,
2: it's happening. It's <laughs> happening, Matt, it's happening.
0: Hello and welcome to Shark Live Royal. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And we are talking about Game of Thrones for the last time. Well <gasps> Not not last Fucking ever. Hell. <laughs> not last ever, but you know, you know what I mean. Um this I is I do, I do. This is our last in a um, series of podcasts that's taken us... How long have we been doing I think this must be because we did Dance with Dragons followed by Game of Thrones Season 6 immediately off the back. So I think we're looking at about 20 podcasts overall.
1: Something like that, yeah. And over the course of the the Royal we've been doing this for three years.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there'll be a bit more Game of Thrones to come when the next book's released uh, and the next series. But this is our last one for some time anyway. Um, and <coughs> it's going to be about series six, episode 10, The Winds of Winter.
1: <laughs> finally. Uh, well, finally. Finally, Matt.
0: It's a bit of a, um, it's a bit sort of harsh, that isn't it? Because we've been looking forward to doing The Winds of Winter for so long. And yeah. it kind of feels a little bit like the Trollingers now by calling <laughs> one episode. What, like-
1: do you feel like by doing this, they're telling us we're never going to get the Winds of Winter? George Martin just hasn't been writing it this whole time. <laughs> and it's just been just bit like when they, when they signed him up to the TV series, he was like, oh, thank fuck for that. <sighs> Don't have to finish it. Lads, here's, here's the deal. Right. Podrick for the Iron Throne.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we're going to go through uh, Series Six, Episode Ten, blow by blow, as as ever. This is blow pers- by
1: blow by blow by blow by crushing explosion by blow. By <laughs> yeah, that's the one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> as the um, as ever, this is uh, from the perspective of uh, two people who've read all the uh, Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire books so far. So um, if you haven't read the books up to this stage. You may get some spoilers, just a a warning, although probably not many because in most cases now the series has gone past the books anyway. Um, But yeah, we'll we'll be bringing in a few sort of insights from that. Also, there's the what remains in the rubble of the bunker full of spoilers for the uh, little section at the end. we play play a bit of music, then talk about a few spoiler theories, uh, the ones that remain after um, after this episode.
1: Well, and I'd like to say, you must be moonwalking after this, like... (laughs) I just sat there during this episode, as well as everything else, just ticking them off. It's like, yeah, he said that, he said that, he
0: said that. <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah. Am we'll I, I glad that, that that we did the the Rat King theory last week? I know. Uh, How yeah. good was that? <laughs> so someone basically detonated detonated a cache of wildfire beneath that this week. Oh, <laughs> topical. Um, yeah. Eh? There you go. Okay, so shall we get into the the episode then? Um, we'll do we'll do the spoilers uh, towards the end. So. So we start off with, actually I want to start by talking about the opening titles because there's a welcome modification here as we see uh, Winterfell sort of being created and it's got the Stark banners on it again uh, hey. after a few seasons. Oh yeah. There we go. Actually, to- talking about Winterfell, can we just take a minute here to, um, to go over a theory that I've I've come across? It's not really a spoiler one, but I absolutely right, okay. love it. It's called yeah. the, the Curse of Robert Baratheon. Um, it's it's fantastic. Okay. okay, so it's it goes back to um, series one, episode one, where Robert Baratheon turns up at Winterfell, mm. and um, basically the idea is that Robert, his touch, his death, because <laughs> <laughs> he he gets off his horse, he gives Ned a massive hug. Ned dies a bit later on. Yeah. He then he then gives a big hug to Catelyn, who dies. Yeah, and then he goes along the line of the Starks. And he, uh, he sort of puts his hand on uh, Rob's shoulder, um, asks, uh, uh, so, sort of like nods to Sansa, uh, no. asks Bran to show his muscles but doesn't touch him, uh. ruffles Rickon's hair, game over, and then passes over uh, Arya. Is that all of them? Oh, and, and he doesn't yeah. even see Jon Snow. So the idea yeah. is that everyone he touches dies. <laughs> everyone touch. Brilliant. <laughs>
1: That's hilarious. Yeah.
0: Although that, that theory is obviously dependent on none of the others dying over the course of the rest of yeah, which, the series.
1: <laughs> which is unlikely. Yeah. I think mean, also I think I it does it does Mark Addy a disservice. Mark Addy's a great actor and I don't like the idea of him being this har- harbinger of doom <laughs> in that
0: scene. Yeah. That's quite a funny little theory though. It's um Yeah, yeah. Quite good. Okay, there we go into um the uh the opening twenty minutes of this episode. Um I remember you said last week that you thought the battle was a masterpiece I thought this opening 20 minutes was a real masterpiece of um, of television the way it's all put yeah. together oh jeez yeah um, so the, the mixture of the the sort of the carefully placed music the way it's all cut together yeah. various locations around King's Landing I just thought it was really really great and it, it gets better on subsequent yeah. watches
1: yeah, it's so ballsy as well, isn't it? Because you've got 60 minutes of screen time and you're going to put 10 minutes of it into this scene that's got one piece of music behind it. It's basically a montage of things building and changing and, and shifting around. Yeah. Um, and it's such an elegant way of achieving what they wanted to achieve here. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is clearly, as much as anything else, a desire to seriously thin out the wage bill for
2: the next series. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely an element of that.
1: There was a piece of me when I was like, when I, when I was watching this scene play out, where I was like, is this all HR? Is this all downsized? Janice from HR doesn't give a shit. Is that what this is? <laughs> yeah. Get rid of them. I don't care how you do it, but you, I, get rid of him. We need to bring down the wage bill by 20%. Go. <laughs>
0: well, it's certainly done a lot better than the Blackfishes... Uh, There are too many characters, I've got to go back up these stairs to my (laughs) death. Brienne, you're a much more interesting character than I am, so you've got to save yourself.
1: It's clear that it's you or me, and let's be honest, it's you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so so we start off, um, and it's all the different people getting ready for the trial. So, you've got Cersei getting uh, dressed, uh, Tom and Marjorie, and they're all being dressed by the servants. So that was quite a nice touch yeah. out, The High Sparrow's just dressing himself. Um, yeah, else. yeah, very, very nice. Yeah. And we start off with the uh, Sir Loras trial. It's not really a trial, he just basically gives a confession. He's, he's so much diminished, isn't he? Um, yeah. Con- compared to sort of how he was earlier on, very proud and yeah. this. Uh, Sort of the sort of the classic um, example of knightlyhood, wasn't it? In sort of in terms yeah. of his general appearance, um, yeah. and his just yeah, well,
1: yeah, exactly. And if you're gonna, I mean, kind of in hindsight, now we know much more about what George Martin's like as an author. That was always going to happen, wasn't it? If you present somebody who is the image of, you know, Lancelot Lee kind of virtue, mm. um, of course, what he's going to do is completely undermine that character and show him. To be somebody who only is as impressive as he is because of all the, all of the, you know, because of the place he occupies in the sort of structure. Mm. Um, because now you take that away, and he just has he's all the moral fortitude of a fucking jellyfish. He's yeah. just like, hey, it was me, yeah, definitely me. Feel terrible. Go on, carve whatever you like into my face.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel like Lancelot. Doesn't it feel like he's a true believer? I think he's just saying oh, whatever shit, he needs no. to make it stop. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah. absolutely. But that's what they want. I mean, you know, like. You know, if you can't make a true believer, you can at least make somebody who's scared of you and over whom you have power. Yeah. You know, and that's the, you know, that's always, that's the kind of, you know, extremely unsacred, extremely profane underbelly of a lot of politicized religious power, isn't it? uh, Yeah. It's not, you know, you'd like somebody to believe what you believe, but actually, if push comes to shove, what you really want is to control them. Mm. Yeah. And if they're sincere about it, then great. Yeah. You know, um, and that's definitely what's going on here.
0: Yeah, the speech that the High Sparrow gives, um, where he's sort of casting his judgment after the confession, he's saying, you know, um, the warrior um, demands that we, uh, that I think justice is done and that justice be harsh, but the mother says there should be mercy. It just gave me the impression, made it very clear to me, like this seven gods idea basically is is the ultimate way to allow um sort of someone like the high sparrow to do whatever he wants because you can pick one of the seven and then say well they say this so we should do that Um, yeah so it's
1: well yeah yeah. Yeah. and it's an interesting one that isn't it in comparative religion because on the one hand having a one god with seven different aspects or seven gods who are one god or whatever you know like there's obviously an echo of that in in christian theology of the Trinity. Yeah. but you're right. It's far broader than that. It's almost like a more kind of, more like uh, Hindu pantheon where there's a god that basically does anything you care to name. Mm. Yeah. Um, so and it's kind of how he draws on both of those things to create this religion, which is a, which is you know a, a, a wonderful, a wonderful place to demonstrate how you know will to power just gets worked out in this way. Because you're right. Like he's just like. Uh, you've done this, but I don't like you, so I'm gonna say the warrior's pissed with
2: yeah. you.
1: You yeah. I like, so the warrior admires your moxie. Go <laughs> and sin no more. You know, like yeah. it's just it's, it's even the same god, just say different things.
0: It's it's very strange that, and considering when we first were introduced to um, to these different religions, the um, the seven has always been like the big one, hasn't it? The one that most people are part of, and the old gods were sort of this sort of strange throwback thing that some northerners still believed in and the red Mm. god was this weird um, sort of angry thing that was coming from afar and the sort of many faced god the god of death one was this sort of shadowy strange religion as well but of all of them the, the seven is the one that there doesn't seem to be anything anything tangible behind it sort of you know you've got the magic and the sort of interference and oh there must be something in this because this is going on the seven's yeah. the only one where it, it it could it you could make an argument to say it is it's just something that men have come up with this and the other ones are actually you know there's something behind them because weird stuff's been happening and yeah. i just thought it was quite interesting that there's just yes,
1: yes i agree yeah.
0: with that. I, I wonder if that's the, the that that is something that he put in sort of on purpose there, but
1: well, I mean, I think it's definitely, it's clearly true that this is the sort of series that an author can only write towards the end of their lives when they've kind of marinated in all of these cultural and historical kind of influences for so long. Yeah, And, you know, and we know George Vine has a background in, in kind of organized Christianity. So, um, it's very, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all that there's a lot of that, you know, he draws on that in a way that could be conscious, could be completely unconscious, you know?
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so he gets to the stage where he, ma- he makes his confession. Loras and uh, the uh, yeah, High Sparrow says, "Yeah, we've got to give him mercy." Follows it up by carving that massive star on his head. <laughs>
2: if this is
1: mercy, show me harshness. <laughs> I think is, is, is my thing. There does yeah. mercy involve? It's like it's that black out of scene, isn't it? It's like if you confess, I will. Uh, I will. Uh, Pull your what is it? I'll pull your bollocks off and, and like and kind of toast them over a flame or something. Yeah. And if you don't confess, I will pull your eyes out and pull your bollocks out. And put them over a flame. It's like yeah. literally the best case scenario here is that you get somebody doing some extremely unregulated tattoo work on your face.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it it's, it seems to be that this wasn't um, sort of in the. There was obviously some quiet under the table agreement here between Marjorie and the high sparrow because she says mm. a bit later on this wasn't what we agreed um mm. and this was him going a bit too i think he's this is just him halfway through the the show thinking you know what i'm going to take a bit of license with this you know yeah. and getting and getting a yeah. bit carried like, away yeah like i'm in pa- yeah, yeah well cuz he
1: wants to show in an environment in an environment where they can't do anything in return they can show that they're in power he yeah. can show that it's powerful right yeah
0: yeah, um, yeah. i thought i thought the um Although he's been a bit of a figure of fun for the entire his entire time, the um, Mace Tyrell, where he sort of suddenly he's sort of watching in horror as this is happening to his son, and when the carving yeah. starts, he sort of just tries to intervene, and it's actually Marjorie stops him. Although that was quite a nice sort of human touch for him. who's yes. he's been very one-dimensional before this. Um, yeah, and that was quite good.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, yeah, he has been a, been buffoonish, but hmm. the fact that His concern wasn't played for laughs. Was one of the really smart moments in this scene, where there was this, where you start to become aware of this kind of undertone with the music and everything else. This undertone of, fucking hell, it's all kicking off here. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like just this sense of something. This isn't just another piece of political religious maneuvering. Which of course they had to move beyond that because they've been doing this for like two series now, and it just it keeps coming back. All right, there's going to be a trial. some trumped up something. Mm. Um and where and with this one they kind of needed to needed to get out of it, and they got out of it in, in fucking style. <laughs> you know, just glorious stuff. And actually, I'll tell you what. This and, and since we're getting to the point where this scene is about to kick off,
2: mm.
1: um, I was actually reminded, and I, I may have mentioned this before, way way back when we were doing book one, when we were doing a Game of Thrones, mm. was. Um, before we started doing this, this is some sharply royal history stuff. <laughs> there was a there was a Bank Holiday weekend where you were like, you've got to watch this TV series, day, Game of Thrones, mental, but you've got to watch it. It's fantastic. Like, let's yeah. go watch it. And uh, I remember there were a load of us, and we just like binge binge watched the thing. And um, and the first kind of three or four episodes, there's a lot of setup stuff and a lot of, it, and you're like, oh, you're in the world and stuff. And we got to the end of episode four, and you were like, what do you think? And I was like yeah, it's all right, I suppose. It's, you know, good, like, interesting, but I sort of wonder where it's going to go from here. He just paused, looked at me and went, yeah, it's pretty much pedal to the fucking metal from now on. <laughs> and, it, and it absolutely was. The last six episodes of season one are mental. Yeah. And I just, I just, I can almost hear you in the back of my head while I was watching this episode, just going, <laughs> pedal to the fucking metal.
0: It's on. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was it, exactly. He was like, bad that time. <laughs>
0: There's a bit later on, actually, where um, I did show, actually shows like, oh, it's on. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, I
1: just found myself, actually, there were several points during this episode where I just found myself laughing aloud <laughs> in in the sheer kind of like, you crazy bastards, like the release of all this tension, because what I'm used to is that they build things up and then they kind of subside again, you know, yeah. Things, yeah. things don't happen very often, you know, big things don't happen very often. And then in this episode, they started out, the opening scene was like, Fucking hell! How are (laughs) you gonna? And and I honestly thought, like, are they just gonna? Is the rest of it gonna be like putting putting things to bed? No, no, sir. No, no, no. (laughs) This is just the. This was just the overture to an hour long festival of mental plot dynamics, and it was fantastic, just great.
0: Yeah. So, so as as the carvings going on, um, we sort of cut back to Tommen, who's been sort of building himself up to go along to the set. Finally, decides now's the time to go and the mount- the mountain's there blocking the door, and mm. T- Tommen's like, I've got to go to the Sept, and the mountain, without saying anything, he's like, no, you're not. You're not going anywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's sort of like a malevolent Batman, isn't he? Like, if he could talk <laughs> now the mountain, he would be like, no, you're not, or I will crush your skull with my hands.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, Cersei's not going either. She's she's not turned up, so we cut back to the Sept, and Marjorie's getting a bit, Worried already, and the high sparrow sends Lancel and a few others out to get Cersei. I was at this point, I was thinking, Well, yeah, because that happened, went so well last time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was
1: gonna say, How's that gonna play out differently? Because the mountain's still got those four holes in the front of his breastplate, hasn't it? Where yeah. that guy had had the worst day at work ever. <laughs> Big swing, hit a guy in the chest with a basically an apprentice morning star, doesn't yeah. make it, doesn't make a difference. I tell you what, I actually thought for a moment here because obviously now there's this sense of foreboding and um, because I didn't know what was going to happen which makes far more sense than what I thought was going to happen
2: mm.
0: but
1: at this moment where the mountain turned up in the king's bedroom, I honestly thought, fucking hell, has Cersei sent him to kill the king? Mm, I thought that like, as well yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad it's not just me, you misread the plot, because I was like I was like, that's what she sends the mountain to do things for right? Yeah. And and, and, you I, know, thought, but I thought. I thought the expression crazy, on.
0: But yeah, I thought the expression on Tommen's face said that as well. He thought, "Is he here to kill me?" <laughs> it yeah. looks like.
1: A- yeah, and that was a really interesting moment, wasn't it? Actually, I think there was a lot of very subtle, really important character development stuff done here by the actor who plays Tommen, mm. um, leading up to what he does during this sequence, um, which is kind of like wrecking, like lose all of his illusions mm. and recognise that. Well, do you know what? Actually, everybody dies in this town. And my mother is not to be trusted, mm. and I think that's actually a huge part of where he gets to because I think he believes in that moment that she might have sent somebody to kill him. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And the 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 sense with all the Tom and Bits series is just how alone he is, isn't it? A lot of the shots are just him, like wide shots of yeah. just him. Um, and yeah. he's so isolated, isn't he? Um. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so so they haven't turned up. Lancel is setting off, and this is where we they they bring in these um, the children as well. So. Lancel gets distracted by this little kid who's run off um, down into um, some sort of little house or underground bit. So he goes, he goes, sort of running after him. M- meanwhile, uh, P- Pycelle, who's been getting ready in his chambers, thinking, you know, I'm the big dog again, back yeah. at back back on top. He thinks he's getting this private audience with the um, with the king. And he, 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 goes, he goes down to this basement bit. This basement, basically Pycelle's uh, um, quarters, not um Kyburn's quarters.
1: Which are as airy and light as you would
0: imagine. <laughs> yeah. I thought this bit where Kyburn um, basically delivers the very speech from the books where, you know, um, yeah. I'm, you know, I bear you no ill will and all this. I thought the way this actor delivered it was just so good because his voice yeah. sounds so sad but his yeah. eyes are laughing and just yeah. like smiling. And I just thought it was just perfectly played. This gave me, it made me shudder watching it as he's, as he's yeah. sort of quietly saying these words to him.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I kind of knew this as well, cause I knew there was a reason they'd set up the little birds. And hmm. I, I, imagined it was because of the scene at the end of the book, yeah, the dance with dragons where they, they get fucking terminal. Um, <laughs> but it was, but it was still incredibly creepy. Um, oh. And yeah, and you know, R.I.P. Wicker Wicker Grandmaster Pycelle, oh, no yeah. mic- mix master, no more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's such a shame. And I will tell you what, he dies hard as well, doesn't he? And the thing was, um, yeah. it keeps cutting obviously between Kyburn's bit and Lancelrin after this other like child. And yeah. I every time it cut away, I kept thinking, "Oh, they're not going to, they're not going to go they're there." It would just be back. like yeah. it cuts away, and it just assumed he's dead. But no, no, they did it really graphically as well. Yeah. Um, oh,
1: jeez. So. Yeah. Horrible. Absolutely yeah. horrible. Now you know. I mean, I've never quite forgiven Julian. Is it Julian Glover, this actor? Mm-hmm. I've never quite forgiven him for wanting to hand over the Ark of the Covenant to the Nazis. <laughs> you
0: know. Um, we didn't deserve that.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, it's not the Ark of the Covenant, is it? Bollocks! It's the other one. It's the uh, it's the, the cup of Christ, right. the Grail. That's the one yeah, he wants yeah. to get.
2: Yeah.
1: Bastard. Um but but you know nobody deserves to die this way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that's um and and it was a nice nod to the books wasn't it to because it was such a great scene in the books this way. It's actually it's actually Kevin Lannister isn't it, is killed this way. But um yeah. But, yeah. Kevin
1: Lannister's nowhere near interesting enough in the TV series to die this way.
0: Yeah, it's a shame, really. I don't, don't think they'd have made the most of Kevin Lannister's character in the... Yeah, so I, mean, I suppose th- at
1: a certain point you have to choose whether you're going to put him in or whether he's not, and if he's not going to be central to where the plot's going, then...
0: Yeah, you know. Yeah, there are a few over in King's Landing where I think they're not as fleshed out as they could have been, but I think it's just because you've got so many characters there. Because I'd have said the same as Lo- with Soloris, actually, for all mm. sort of... His appearance is quite good, but we never really got... To grips with his, his character, I don't think, but yeah. I, I don't think there's a criticism because there's obviously if you were, were going to explore these characters, you'd have to not explore some of the other things. Um, yes, yeah, absolutely. We cut back to Lancel, um, who follows this kid down into the the sort of underground area, um, gets jumped by him, and um, this kid, I tell you what, one stab, and I think he sort of he just must have sort of severed his uh, hamstring or something because. Lancel basically collapses. We we have, we have yeah. known from Blackwater that Lancel's not exactly got the highest of pain thresholds.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> he goes down like that's a, true. Like balloon, I wonder yeah. if it was just a scratch, but he was just like, "Oh gosh,
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: I just can't."
0: Yeah, and um, we, we we slowly realise as he's dragging himself along um, here that this room is full of basically casks of wildfire and you've got this, <laughs> these little fuses set which are candles burning low. I'll,
1: I'll level with you, I'll level with you, Matt. At this point, I, I was giggling. I was giggling like a child because <laughs> I, like, I was like, oh, he's down there. Oh, they're barrels. And at that point, it, I think they shot this at the same time as that piece of footage they put into Brand's epic, here's the entire plot of the series, hmm. flashback slash yeah. flash forward moment, Yeah. right? Um. So the moment I noticed that there was sort of there was these hulking green shapes in the darkness, I was like, "No fucking way! No way you do! You are you crazy bastards! I can't believe you're going to blow up the city!" Because I was thinking for a moment, I was like, "This is exactly what Matt said would come to pass." At this point, I was, but because you you were saying it was under Dawn, right? You were just saying, "Yeah, they're going to blow Dawn to
0: pieces, just to get rid of it."
1: Yeah, exactly. Just to get rid of it, but then I was looking at this and I was like, "Bloody hell, Matt's a savant." <laughs> to, to, just do me a favour, Matt. Just pick six numbers right now between <laughs> one and ninety-nine. Just do me a favour and just do that, and we'll all be wealthy tomorrow. That's
0: what yeah, I want. Yeah, well, it wasn't quite right, but it was. I only no, said that as a joke anyway. That they're going to blow up. Right, well,
1: yeah, exactly. Though, but you know, I'll take three numbers, Matt. I'll take three numbers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um. But yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, just, just crazy. I do, though, have a question uh, about these ear little birds. Yeah. Which is to say, so far, we've, and, you know, they're very creepy and children being horrifyingly violent, you know, very well-established trope in fiction because the world's fucked. Mm. But um, who taught them to kill people? Because it's one thing saying, like, because he's given them sweets and all of that, and then, you know, he brings in this guy and says, right, you've got to kill him now, good stabby, stabby, all of you. You know, that sort of group thing, thing I can understand. But mm. this one kid whose first response to being followed quite slowly... By an adult with a crazy face tattoo is to be like, "I'm gonna fuck you up, you know like crack out the crack out the sort of machete or whatever and just go for it yeah. like that that it seems to me that Kyber must have done quite a lot of work recontextualizing um gang warfare mm. to uh you know to kids' work you know to, to like the world's worst social worker basically
0: yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, there must have been a um, there must have been quite the program going on in the uh, yeah. in the uh, dungeons.
1: Okay, if you can, yeah, if you can kill a melon, you can kill a man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so so Lancel sees all the wild, wildfire, um, and at this point, Marjorie pretty much figures it out. She she doesn't know what's going to happen, but she knows something. She basically says, "We've got to get out because Cersei knows that not being here will have consequences, and she doesn't care." And there must be a yeah. reason for that. And yeah. the high sparrow just doesn't doesn't believe that that's true, and so uh, it doesn't seem like he makes a decision either way. Really, he just sort of mm. sort of he's a bit frozen. And as the the, the real horror of it is when Marjorie and um, her family are trying to leave, and the mm. uh, the faith militant block the exits and they say no, you, you can't you can't go because unless the high sparrow says so, basically, and he's just yeah. frozen. Yeah. And this is the moment where you you know that it's it's all gonna because at this point as soon as yeah. as soon as Marjorie says we've got to get out and says to Loris come on stay with me let's get out of here I thought oh, some of these are gonna survive
1: yeah yeah no I really thought they were gonna set it up with the kind of irony of the moment but no 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 dramatic <laughs> irony is now no longer a sweet enough brew for the makers of, of Game of Thrones <laughs> what they need is massive epic death tolls every episode
0: yeah and then you get you're getting the the music building as this is happening to the crescendo. And then there's the explosion and it's massive. And I love the bit as well where it comes up through the sept and you basically yeah. see the highest sparrow. as it, like, it like opens his arms up as it just, just goes yeah. up. And the thing yeah, with the bell as well. They
1: did it, yeah. yeah, exactly, as a proper flood. Yeah. you know, Instead of instead of like doing what movies do with, with explosions, which is to show them from loads of different angles because they spend money on this and, damn it all, we're going to have some shots of this. Yeah. They did it far more immediately because, of course, this is why bombings are shocking and why they are awful, is that it's one minute you're just in a place and the next minute, you know, you're in smithereens. Yeah. And, and it's that shocking wave of total destruction which is so horrifying about them. And, and that's what they did here, you know, like somebody's in the middle of their sentence and then yeah, <laughs> and then it's just, you know, bang, and it's, and it's all gone. And then they cut to this long shot which just shows the Sept collapsing in the city. Which again is exactly what it looks like. It's not plumes of green petrol smoke. It's just where once there was a building, there is now a, a rising cloud of dust, and it was it was sobering. Is yeah. what it was.
0: Yeah, and also it's, it, it was very clear that this isn't some sort of tactical assassination, is it? There's hundreds, probably thousands of people are killed in this. It's just yeah, um, and yeah. she
1: just does not give a flying fuck. Yeah, and it's and it was a, breathtaking as well with with um. You know, because exactly an episode, exactly a series ago, we had the moment where Cersei's had been as as uh, as as sympathetic as she's ever going to get. Um, you know, the walk of shame where you do feel quite sorry for her, yeah. and then this just this just reinforces the fact that she has she she. It's not just that she's evil; it's that she completely lacks a moral compass. she's, yeah. she's just nothing means anything to her, and and it's and I think I think this sets us up for. Um, for a coming conflict between her and Jaime, because mm. there's a, there's a scene later on in this where Jaime expresses his apparent profound disgust mm. at the phrase and what the phrase the Lannisters did at uh, the Red Wedding, and I think that I think they you know the, the coins have been flipped and one of them's fallen towards you know the complete abyss of a lack of morality, and the other one has uh, you know his, his disgust is starting to overwhelm his arrogance. Yeah. So I think that's where it's going to go. It's not she's been fucking everybody. It's that she's she's basically, uh, Stavros Blofeld basically. And yeah.
0: Like, <clears throat> yeah, and of course yeah. with Jamie as well. The whole the whole reason he was he's been universally despised for so long, was he gave up his entire sort of honour and his reputation to stop this happening. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I haven't thought of that. Fucking yeah. I mean, that's on next season, and that's locked on, isn't it? Yeah. Like the reason that he did what he did and got the name that he got was that he he wanted to avoid the city being blown up.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I thought it was it's interesting as well. Like you say, Cersei had a bit of a, um, a kind of rehabilitation with the audience out of sort of sympathy by what happened to her in the last series, and the shorthand way of of bringing her back into a complete villain again I think it says a lot about the time that this is put together it's basically a, a terrorist attack um, and yeah. that's that's what the um, series creators or the author if this happens in the books uses to um, make her unambiguously evil again um, yeah yeah and I thought that was yeah. very, it's, it's very sort of product of its time isn't it that um, I'd, yes, I'd imagine yes, in yes. 20 30 years that'll be drawn out a lot, a lot more when you look back on it yeah um, yeah so yeah, so this happens. Um, the <laughs> Cersei has a fantastic sort of villain moment where she's, as you say, there's the wide shot from the balcony. She's watching it, and she's drinking a, a glass of red wine, and she just sort of does a little cheers to it, and then walks off. And you think, yeah, it's a great <laughs> character moment, though.
1: It is. It is a great character moment, but you, you also end up kind of almost gibbering with disgust.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Even for you, Cersei. Even for you. <laughs> She immediately wanders down to the dungeons um, to lord it over the scepter who used to lord it over her, yeah. um, and she's got her tied up now, and she's doing the confess, 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 um, gibes to her, saying, "Confess yeah. that you actually enjoyed punishing me, and that was why you did it." Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is yeah, this is horrific, isn't it? And it ends with um, the 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 mountain. Coming in, removing his helmet. You don't really see his face completely, but you see enough of it to see that it's basically this monstrous sort of figure now, isn't it? And yeah. and he he comes in to do whatever whatever torture is going to happen to this poor woman. But yeah. yeah, this is this is chilling, but entirely expected as well, I suppose, considering Cersei's character.
1: Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Very, very much. Um, there was only one way this was going to play out, like, mm-hmm. based on based on what she's like.
0: Yeah, and there's the classic um, villain bit where the person, like, the victim says, oh, I'm, I'm ready to die, and uh, and the yeah. villain says, dying today. No, 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 not today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're right, it's almost good enough to be put in a sort of, like, the stereotypical villain voice, isn't it? Yeah. Like the, oh, good, you're ready to die. Not today, I'm afraid. <laughs> not yeah. today. You know, yeah. just like, horrible. Um, but, I mean, it's hard to feel sorry for her, isn't it? Because she has been this completely silent, one-dimensional figure of, you know, arrogant
2: malevolence. Mm. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, so you don't really have a dog in this fight, do you? You don't want Cersei to get what she wants, but you don't want the Scepter to get what she wants either, but you sure as shit don't want the Mountain to get what he wants. She does. <laughs> you desperately want for it, at the very least, not to happen on camera. Can <laughs> we all agree on that? If the Mountain's getting what he wants, I want that to take place off-screen Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, and you know it's bad when even Game of Thrones cuts away. Um, so that that, that yeah. says says a lot, doesn't it? Jeez, um, but yeah, yeah she, she, this scepter is basically a bit like Kai, a bit like um Pycelle. Like no one deserves <laughs> no one deserves that. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, true. In the meantime, yeah. So Tommen um, takes a long walk off a short window so He yeah. He he. This is really well shot because it's he sort of he, he's looking out over the city. And then removes his crown walks off camera and they just hold the shot and hold it yeah. and hold it and just as you're thinking just at the point where I was thinking is this frozen? <laughs> he, he comes back out and just, just throws himself out of the window
1: yeah um, and yeah, shocking yeah very much. Gesture of complete despair. Mm. And and this is what I say is actually I think this is a really fantastic micro-performance from this kid, whose role in the past previously has been to be about the right size, not quite have a broken voice, mm. and look kind of doe-eyed and easily manipulable. Mm. Which, in fairness, he's played to an absolute perfection. <laughs> but, but in this little bit here, you, I think you really see his character just sort of Finally, having been the only innocent left in King's Landing, realised the whole time he has been king of a river of shit. Mm. And knowing that... Knowing because it was his mother's guard that prevented him from being in that building when it happened, that it was his mother who did this.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: You know, he's he's a fundamentally decent person, and he's watched his mother kill his wife. Yeah. And... He and he knows that he doesn't have it in him to have the to have a fight, you know, to punish his mother for this. He doesn't have it. He he, he doesn't know how political power works. He just knows that he doesn't have it, yeah. and so he's you know he kind of hit in the face all at once with the kind of you know matter of fact knowledge of the malevolence of the way things work in King's Landing, which everybody else in King's Landing you know drinks with their mother's milk. He's just realised all of it, yeah, and. And, yeah, and he just... And he does it with completely... He doesn't grandstand. He just... It's over. Like, I'm done, you know. And and that, that way of shooting it... You know, don't... No, no shot on his face. No worrying, wobbly lower lip. No, don't do it, don't do it. No, the wind pulled at his clothes and he was afraid. Just, no, I'm done. Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. the only power I have here is the power to kill myself. And it was bleak as hell. But...
2: Really powerful. As a yeah,
0: writer. yeah. I think as well, he, he he took the sort of being a good king stuff when whenever he had these lessons, um, even back with Tywin, like in Series Three or whatever it was. For he took this sort of being a good king and doing what's best for your people really seriously. Unlike most of the others who've tried to do this, um, mm-hmm. and and that. So that hits him so much harder when he sees th- like hundreds or thousands of people killed, um, and yeah. he's been unable to stop it. In the same way, he felt. Entirely powerless when um, his his mother was taken to the sept and humiliated, and he we he had, he, yeah. he had this bit didn't we earlier in the series where he said he felt terrible because he he was too weak to do anything, and it's just that hundred times worse now, isn't it? And you can see exactly why he would just decide he's had enough. the The, the interesting thing here for me was all during this scene where he's um, sort of sitting there and then removing his crown and all that. I was waiting for Cersei to arrive to talk to him. Um, yeah. I thought this is this is setting up a sort of confrontation between the two, and the fact yeah. she doesn't show, I thought was really interesting. The fact that this happens and her first is, her first sort of priority is to go down to the dungeons and lord it over this this person oh, who was horrible yeah. to her, and you think maybe if she you'd never know, but maybe if her first instinct was to go to her son, this may have not happened.
1: Yes, I think that's very true, and I, yeah, I think this is the moment where her whole life has been warped around and shaped around power, mm. not compassion. She's she's been almost mad with a love for her children, but that has been just the fuel in the car, and the car in question has been power, mm. and um, and so as we see here, when push comes to shove, power is more important to her than motherhood. And which we know like by the fact that she's killed her son's wife, you hmm. know. Um, where this leaves the prophecy, remember from the start of the season before last or whatever it was, you know that, where yeah. they go to the crone and they say, ah, you know, the brother will kill you and all of that. Hmm. And, you know, a younger one will supplant you. Um, I don't know, but wouldn't it be hilarious if the first series, first episode of series seven would be, you know, just like somebody impossibly attractive turning up in town there it is Daenerys turns up in town <laughs> and starts making eyes at Tommen and she just be like oh for fuck's sake <laughs> how many cathedrals do I have to blow up over here come on
0: <laughs> yeah well, a Tommen's corpse
1: Oh, yeah, that's true, isn't it? Fucking hell.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a dick. All right, fair enough. Yes, absolutely. Sorry. That was a silly mistake. I was, it?
0: I was wondering if you meant a different character then. I was thinking, who could it be? <laughs>
1: no, no, you're absolutely right. But, oh, well, okay. Well, I mean, having, having wap, wapsed, waxed rhapsodic about, um, about, about how good this was set up and played and stuff, I think it is worth saying that, you know, this was the only way Game of Thrones could go with all the death. Yeah. But it's still created an environment overall in the series where, you know, a really dramatic, really wonderful, really moving death scene can have about as much impact on my awareness of the overall mise-en-scene of the series as somebody getting out of bed late in the morning. <laughs> oh, Tommen's actually dead, isn't he? Yeah, shit. He's <laughs> not going to become zombie type six. He is actually dead. Well, as far as we know, maybe you never we know. next yeah. episode, maybe, mm-hmm. you know. Melisandra's down there going, he is Ahai si, reborn!
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so we finally cut away from King's Landing, and it's a uh, party at the Twins, as, uh, as the ladders <laughs> the Lannisters it the It never really celebrate. looks
1: like much of a party,
0: though, does it? <laughs> no, no. Um, so we're at this party. Jamie and Braun are sitting down, um, sort of involved as, as Frey gives his big speech. There's this serving girl who keeps checking out Jamie. And it's played yeah. as a bit of a, like played for laughs with uh, Bron saying, "Oh, they're always attracted to you and all this." And when you watch this a second time, considering oh, what yeah. happens, it's great. Oh, there's this like this serving girl who's basically Arya keeps looking over at Jamie, like basically yeah. size She's not checking it out. She's sizing him up this yeah. and working out whether she can how him.
1: easy is is this guy gonna be to kill
0: yeah yeah which is great and then um phrase comes to sit down next to jamie and does this brilliant sort of we're not so different you and i speech which james obviously horrified about which is great yeah. as well
1: yeah 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 absolutely oh like horrible speech isn't it mm. yeah.
0: like
1: like just the re- like somebody really relishing the fact that they're a total bastard yeah um and, and, and you know, and it's really important that Jamie has this character moment here, where he just, like, his disgust finally overwhelms his ability to look after his family's best political interests. Hmm. Because at this point, he's like, no, 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 fuck it, <laughs> fuck you, fuck you in particular, particularly you, all right, Frey, you, precisely you.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're not the same. At least the we same, we are. Aren't we
1: are not the same. Yeah, I just, and I love it, and you know, like. I just I kind of love him how he handles that moment because he's so clearly a win diplomatically for him to go yeah yes 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 we are exactly the same you total bastard <laughs> um, but I I kind of love that at this point he's like no, no 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 diplomacy is worth this if you and me <laughs> are the same something is deeply wrong with the universe yeah
0: yeah yeah um, then me back to very briefly back to King's Landing where um, Cersei is discovered that tommen's dead and she basically i mean all the all the grief's been just sort of sucked out of her now isn't it And she just basically says burn him and um and scatter his ashes on the set so he's he's with his 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 sort of his his grandfather and his uh and his sister and brother interesting that's
1: that's the other thing as well isn't it a lot of people were buried in that building you know yeah yeah. People have really shown it how important that sort of thing is to them, you know, taking his bones back to Winterfell, that sort of thing. Mm. So she's just, I mean, like, I don't know what a more extreme version of the phrase off the deep end would be, but that is what Cersei has done.
0: That. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so she, yeah, that's that's a little bit with her. And then we go over to the Citadel, um, the, uh, well, Old Town, as a Sam, Sam arrives, and um we just see that this is quite nice. It first shot of all time, which we've never seen before. And the the white ravens leaving the citadel, which is what happens when winter's arrived. So they're country Oh letting what a great shot there. that was, eh? Yeah. Yeah. I
1: Fant- like that's some full on Lord of the Rings shit right there. Yeah. It just looked just look great. Like loads of stuff like from um, from the Return of the King, all those shots of Minas Tirith. It was exactly the same as that. Hmm. Brilliant,
0: brilliant. He ter- turns up at the uh, basically at uh, West Ross University to enrol, and um, there's, a, there's this guy, this this like this sort of um, academic lifer who's just perfect, isn't he? He's just, yeah. <laughs> he, he, he is exactly who you meet when you go to when you go to enrol at university. Um, the sort of his, his expression, his mannerisms, the way he, sort of, he holds his hand out for the paper and then won't move towards it. So Sam's got to like reach over to give him it. I just thought yeah, this guy yeah, was great. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah completely perfect. And We've all dealt with with um, civil servants who have exactly that attitude, Yeah, haven't we? Like, I'm powerful here and fuck the lot of you. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: yeah, and he, he, he says to Sam, you know, we'll have to get all this checked out. Um, but uh, in the meantime, you can use the library. Um, yeah. and he, he, so Sam, Sam goes in to take a look, and, and Gilly and um, and little Sam aren't allowed in with him. Uh, and he walks through yeah. this library, amazing.
1: I know, isn't it? I think we should we should take a moment to note the fact that uh, any of our listeners elsewhere in the world who think that in some way this is a caricature of the way in which women were denied access to education at universities like this in, let us say, just for example, and plucking one directly out of the air, England. Which we both know about. There's not an ounce of it. There is literally nothing in that scene that wouldn't have happened a thousand times in both Oxford and Cambridge over many, many years. Hmm. Um, like just a woman in the library. Her brain will overheat. Her ovaries will explode, and her face will turn into an even more Haroldan-ish old boot-looking thing. No, 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 no. <laughs> this place is not in the library. She'll she'll use the mirrors to do her makeup. <laughs> Um which which is which which is the cool thing about this library, of course, is that Sam goes in there and it's it's this huge cavernous space lit by mirrors. <laughs> so cool. So fucking cool. Imagine being the guy who got to design that. Yeah.
0: That's some great feedback actually. I'll bring it in there from um Oliver who said uh <laughs> he thinks um by the time Sam reemerges from this library, little Sam will be a man grown.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's I did,
1: now I I appreciate that because because that that chimes very much with I think what exactly how I would respond to this because I'm I'm very comfortable describing myself as a history nerd like I do a history degree and some of my happiest times were spent in the library working out things from books right and so. I totally understood. Like this was a proper moment for me where I was like, "There must be less than one percent of the audience got the little thrill that I got there." <laughs> but I felt exactly the same as Sam did, walking in like, "It's all here. I'm gonna read everything."
0: <laughs> yeah, this was great as well. The lights, um, the sort of orbs spinning above, they're um, it's the it's the Game of Thrones sun from the um from the start of the from the opening titles. It's got the... Um, oh, you know the, of
2: course it is. Yeah.
0: So you got a little sort of like melted um, iron bits with the engravings on and all that, and they're spinning um, above lighting the room. I thought that was very interesting.
1: Yeah. Wow, I totally didn't notice that, but you're absolutely right, of course. So th- does that mean then? That, I mean, so either that's a really nice little kind of, that's an in-joke,
2: hmm.
1: or we've never been shown a shot of the celestial orbs as they actually appear above the Earth in this series. So does this mean that, as well as having inconsistently length years, and like, you know, a landmass that apparently goes on forever into the north, hmm. um, the other way in which Westeros is weird is that it has a sun which actually looks like a perfect mechanical replica of the sun, <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah. up there with like continent-sized rings spinning around it. <laughs> and
0: stuff. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was in. I thought it was quite nice because I think. When the um, I think I've seen a sort of behind the scenes thing about how the opening titles were created, and they said they wanted to make them like um, it, like some sort of map that's sitting in um, a uh, like a library or a chambers where there's sort of maybe like a, a mace or something's looking over it um, and creating these little clockwork um, these little clockwork cities to, to show what's where. So I could almost imagine, like that map being somewhere in that library, um, the map that yeah. we see at the start each time. Yeah, it's quite yeah. good. Yeah. I mean- um, we we cut over to Winterfell. Um, quite a nice device. We follow the White Raven that's heading towards there, um, to bring us in into Winterfell. And uh, John is in the sort of great hall in Winterfell talking to Melisandra. I like this chat because John's basically saying, yeah. Um, I used to sit down at the bottom there, and my rest of my family a bit, at this top table. And Malisandra says, "You know, it could have been worse. You could have had no family." And yeah. I, I love, I love, I love John's reaction. So he laughs and he's like, "Yeah, you're right. It could have been a lot worse." Um, and then there's yeah. no, there's no real bitterness there from John, is there? Even though he mentioned, it's obviously plays in his mind, but it yeah. doesn't, it, it doesn't make him angry in the way that a lot of other characters would be.
1: Yes, it doesn't define him, and I think that's actually you know, he's gone through this incredibly harsh, formative experience, um, which is, um, which kind of, you know, like, if, you know, in a sort of, again, a northern context where kind of talking about it isn't valued terribly well and the deal is you just got on with it. And I think it really could go either way in that context, you know, you go through these traumatic experiences and you either come out of it with a well-balanced sense of yourself or you come out of it fucked in the head. Mm. And... And John has, in that scene, I think Wright's really encouraging because you see that he's gone through this unbelievable experience that comes out with a sense of very, very wry self possession, which Mm. is actually an incredibly powerful character trait. But he could just as easily have developed a kind of a victim's habit of moaning or a, um, uh, you know, or kind of a sense of of, um, being cowed and, and, and living constantly under the consequences of his experience, which would prevent him from becoming everything he could be. And so I love that he is. I love that that's the way he's fallen because he yeah. could easily have gone the other way. I think.
0: Yeah, and th- this this is interrupted by the arrival of Davos, who's absolutely furious, oh, and he's.
1: Fuck, you wouldn't mess, would you? The look on his face and the way he delivers these lines, ye gods! Yeah. shivers down my
0: spine. Yeah, he does a great job, doesn't he? Um, the actor playing this, Liam Cunningham, and um, yeah. he's so he basically throws the um, that little carving at Melisandre, and then accuses her and she doesn't deny it she says this yeah this is what we did um I was wrong and he, he calls her a liar and that's the one thing she pushes back on and says no I, ne- I never lied I just I was just wrong um, yeah. and it, interesting point she makes where she says we're we're alive because of because of what I did there because of burning her and there is a I mean there is something to say about this where um on on the sort of a, a wider level we saw, when Stannis did burn her, did burn his daughter, um, he's, he basically most of his army deserted because they were so disgusted with what he did, quite rightly. But um, this this horrendous storm that was killing them did break and when we got to the actual battle, like the Battle of the Bastards, um, yeah. it wasn't in a sort of blizzard as it was before. Yeah. So yeah. Um, horrific as it was, it did have some impacts that and you wonder would would John have been able to make it down to Winterfell and win um, in the conditions as they were when Stannis did what he did? And that brings yeah. the the true sort of horror of the Red God to it. And that when when uh, Davos says, "If this, if your God's telling you to burn children, he's evil," and yeah. um, Miles Andromo shrugs is like, well, you know, that's the, as we said in the last time with the, you know, the meta talk about the author, that's the God we've got, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting because, of course, you know, if, if your God tells you to kill children, then the evil. is an argument which is um, uh, popular and a great deal of force, I think, in the, mm. um, in the kind of uh, the New Atheist movement and in kind of, you know, the, the endless kind of largely bilious religious discussions that go on online. Mm. Um, and it's a really strong argument. And I think credit to the scriptwriters for writing a response that wasn't just a kind of straw man attempt to transcribe the kind of replies that are given there, which are often, you know, from people who are what they, yeah, and again, you know, when I say this as a Christian, the Christians who respond to those things are often really saying, I don't have an answer for that, but I can't bear to tell you that I don't. Hmm. Um, and actually Melisandra here is not one of those straw man, you know, University Students Union level debaters. She holds tight to the awful truth of what she believes, which is anything is appropriate God told you to do. Mm. And and she and she kind of she presents that pretty pretty boldly. Um, and that's um, I think that's a position which you know is, is I mean, it's, it's horrifying, but it was realistic to the character, and I thought
0: that was great. Mm, yeah. So Davos says he wants to execute her, and uh, Melisandra says, "You need me, so don't." And jo- John kind of picks a middle middle ground. He banishes her and says, "If you come yeah. back, I'll execute you." Yeah. Um, which is a I thought was probably a quite a I think it's probably the right choice. Um, I think yeah. it would because uh, you know. T- I don't know. You can't keep her there, can you? Because you can't right. have somebody does that near you. Um yeah. I mean even from even putting morality to one side just for the sort of morale of the people who are supposed to follow you. Um yeah. that will get out the fact that she did that. Um because people yeah. the people who deserted will be talking about it. So, yeah. I mean I'm amazed that it hasn't got out before to be honest. But um yeah. but yeah. at the same time if you make a big show of killing her there is something in sort of her red god powers stuff and do you really yeah. want to with all the problems you've got at the moment you really want to cross that as well
1: yeah yeah absolutely yeah so I, I think it was wise I also think it was appropriate to the fact that she is at, she was after all instrumental in Jon Snow standing there at all hmm. so and, and the thing is she doesn't necessarily want to stay alive she wants to carry on serving her god hmm. which to her means being next to Jon so actually what he's doing is, is hurts her a lot even if everybody else would be like you're letting her off easily to yeah. her it's a fairly profound punishment, actually, and so I and I think this is wise. I think it was a really good, a really wise move on
0: their part. Yeah, yeah. So we cut to the wall, to the uh, walls of Winterfell. As is watching uh, Melisandre leave. Oh, this little chat between Sansa and John about who, I like this, about who's going to basically inherit their dad's, um, their dad's living quarters now. And John says it should be Sansa because she, she's the other one yeah. who's really a Stark. Yeah. Um, we get this sort of. Apolog- Sansa apologizes for not telling John about <laughs> about Littlefinger.
1: <laughs> Hello viewers. Yeah. I'm sorry for last week's infuriating Deus <laughs> Ex Machina.
0: But she doesn't explain why. Um which no. was which was a little bit annoying.
1: <laughs> More than a little bit that. It was doubling down on the annoyance. When the, when this yeah. scene started, I was like kind of Oh, you're gonna address it? Great. Fantastic. <laughs> you're not gonna address it, are you? No. no, you're not. In the slightest. You're just gonna <laughs> <laughs> I said.
0: Yeah, so there's this bit where John says, you know, we've got to trust each other, and Sansa agrees. Do you think that these two are entirely trusting of each other now?
1: Um, That's a very good question, and I think the scene that follows this with Sansa and Littlefinger is, mm. um, would, would seem to suggest that even if they do right now, they're not. They're not going to very, very soon in the future. Hmm. Um, but I think there's a genuine warmth between them here, which makes it, which makes it a kind of an even fight. Hmm. Because, you know, because they're talking about, you know, then there's a few moments where they kind of reminisce. Because they are back in this place, which gives them both a sense of profound emotional security, which they had thought was lost to them forever. Hmm. And, and so they are kind of acting out of that kind of brother-sister relationship rather than out of that warlord potential queen relationship
2: hmm. um,
1: so there's definitely warmth there I think it's a fair fight but I think you know Littlefinger has this weird flipping Stockholm Syndrome power over Sansa which is going to be very difficult
0: hmm. yeah um, we actually then cut away to oh my goodness take down the eight episodes since Dawn sign <laughs> reset it to zero episodes because <laughs> cause we've arrived at Dawn finally after um, it was it was season six episode one when we last saw this place, um, yeah. we're now back. So the Queen of Thorns is visiting all in. At first, I thought um, she doesn't know yet about the um, yeah. about what's happened. But obviously, she's all in black, and she says that yeah. you know she's lost everything now. Basically, um, yeah. she starts she starts with this put down of the sand snakes. She basically felt like um, I mean the the whole. Series six has felt like the writers have thought, you know what, Dawn. We realize that Dawn has been massively unpopular with the audience, um, and especially these like sun snakes just hasn't worked. And this yeah. is the little bit of sort of service to people who don't like. The Dawn plot, where she basically yeah. puts the these sand snakes down, as in like you, you're you all useless
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it's a, it, it was definitely fan service wasn't it, yeah. definitely fan service like kind of, let's put a character on screen who disses these three characters, I don't really understand why everybody's so angry about the sand snakes, I mean they're you know, infuriating and, and not terribly clear what they want and we've been meandering through their plot line and it's not been clear to me why they matter but yeah. everybody else in fandom fucking loves Arya stark and she falls exactly into that category as well yeah so yeah. Uh, you know I, 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 they didn't bother me but you know I'll, I'll always sign up for some lady elena smack talk i'll yeah. always sign up for
0: that i've always just had the feeling with the sand snakes that they they kind of they don't really fit the story they feel like a sort of a characters from some some kind of like b movie knockabout so bad it's good Film, <laughs> and they're in the middle of this like high drama <laughs> political yeah. intrigue kind of story. It's kind of
1: like coming across sort of a Michael Bay directed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles segment in <laughs> you know in a really serious kind of drama, yeah. What you mean, right? Yeah,
0: so yeah. I was always jarred a bit for me, so um, but yeah, so the uh, Queen of Thorns is talking about how everything's been taken. She but it's amazing to be honest, the Tyrells are finished, aren't they? there's only her left yeah um, yeah i mean
1: you know yeah. bloody hell
0: i mean in, in but, the books there are a couple of other um if it goes down this way in the books there are a couple of other brothers that um uh, to loris who are still knocking around but here it's very clear from what she says in this universe all her family's yeah. gone apart from her now
1: yeah 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 um, and there go this or so who are their sublords Oh, is this going to be a no? It's not going to be a John Connington thing, is it? Like I don't—they're not going to try and bring in this whole other Targaryen heir thing. Mm,
0: right? Be surprised, yeah. Yeah, so would
1: I. But that would make sense, wouldn't it? Because weren't they weren't they Bannermen of the um, Tyrells? Um,
0: Conningtons? I think they might no, be no, Stormlands. No, yeah, yeah. End. yeah, yeah. Sorry, so yeah, no, okay, I don't know then. Yeah. yeah, but um, but yeah. So she's saying, you know, I'm done. What can you possibly offer me? And uh, and they basically say Vengeance, to ring this little bell, out comes, out comes uh, Varys, He's turning hey! up. Hey! On just his fishy sa- mermaid tail. Yeah, and he just says, um, fire and blood, which is, yeah. one, a great way to say Vengeance, and two, uh, uh, the house words of the Targaryens. Yeah. Sin- th- th- that- this was this was the point where, as he said it, I was like, oh, it's on, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there
1: were so many satisfying moments like this, weren't there, in this series. Yeah. Where you were like, "Oh, it's happening! It's
2: <laughs> happening, Matt! It's happening!"
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: Um yeah. And fire and blood was definitely was definitely that moment. But and then that answers the question of what's going to happen to the Tyrells, then, doesn't it? Because you know they've got this. Daenerys is going to do one of them crazy Westerosi sail all the way around the edge to get a good landing point.
0: Yeah, things. yeah.
1: She'll clearly land at Highgarden, take control of the Highgarden troops, and then sweep on through. You
0: know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I might. So. I think she might That's even cool. land in Dawn, actually. Yeah, probably. Level. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, surely.
0: But um, yeah, that's that looks looking like the tactic now. Um, we then cut over to Daenerys, and um, she's breaking up with Dario. This is a bit of a surprise. Um, yeah, you're yeah. not coming, you're not coming to Westeros because I'm going to need to sort of make some alliances, and I can't have I can't have a lover there. Um,
1: and and his argument is pretty much like, go on, love though, just just a bit of a tumble. Like <laughs> he, he actively doesn't want to be king, but he's like. We must carry on shagging,
0: Felicity. Yeah, I like how he sort of lays it on the line where he says it, like he basically says, "I don't care about any of this other stuff. All I care about is just being with you." And because she says, "Because um, she knows how like prideful he is, Dario." It's like, "Oh, do you want to be known as this sort of uh, mistress?" And he basically says, "Oh, don't care. You know, um, there's nothing else really matters." And that must have been. I was watching this thinking, you know what, if I was in her position, I, I, I'm too soft. I wouldn't be able to sort of to do this, to sort of send someone yeah. away who... Um, yeah, who was well, that, well,
1: that, Matt, is why you will never be Queen of the Andal.
0: That's true, actually. Yeah, I can't ride oh, a dragon yeah. either. <laughs> it's a I know. Yeah,
1: well, I'll give it time, though, Matt. I reckon you can get your head around it. But no, you're not able to be horrifyingly callous, <laughs> uh, you know.
0: So. This, this does open up an interesting possibility, though, of um, Daenerys basically basically sort of doing a Queen Elizabeth I in Westeros where she sort of st- basically strings along like yeah. everybody just enough to maintain her own power base which is what yeah. uh, Queen Elizabeth did so spectacularly well um, in, uh, in, in British history and you can yeah. see how um, that, kind of, that kind of political manoeuvring could be so effective for someone like Daenerys
1: Yes, absolutely and I think you're right because there's so many things and we've said before, you know, one of the reasons Game of Thrones rings so true is that George Martin is very steeped in our particular history, and so and this is exactly and he keeps using you know versions of it, and this is clearly for me this is clearly it. He's gonna have she's gonna have all sorts of people wanting to marry her, mm. and she knows that that's when she has power. Yeah, she doesn't have power after she's married, but she has shit loads of power when she's negotiating the marriage, particularly now that she's got dragons. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah.
0: And she, she tells Dario to stay behind and let the people choose their own ruler. And I thought this was interesting because there is a um, a theory suggests that suggests that what Daenerys means when she says she's going to break the wheel, as she's talked about when she goes over to Westeros, one option maybe is to, to, to sort of bring some kind of democracy to Westeros and kick out the old way of hereditary rule and all this stuff that's been crushing the small folk. And um, it's interesting that her idea of sort of an end game for Marine now is that, mm. um, and maybe yeah. that'll happen in Westeros too.
1: True, but although I think it's very easy to say, right? I don't really care about ruling this place, so you should have a democracy. But if you do care about ruling the place, I'm pretty certain you're not going to give up power. Yeah. You
0: know? Yeah. So yeah. that's a good point.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. I'm. I, I am. I am very curious. Mm. Um, uh, about how this is gonna, how this is gonna roll out,
2: but.
0: Yeah. And we then cut out to Tyrion um, in the sort of the room next door as Daenerys comes in and says, yep, yeah, it's done. Um, it's interesting that Daenerys says she wasn't bothered. She was just impatient as he's like, as Dario's saying, um, don't do it. Um, I'll do anything to stay with you. She was like, oh, come on. <laughs> I just want to get away, it now. <laughs> get
1: a move on, yeah. She's, she is pretty like, callous here, isn't she? She's mm. pretty like...
0: Yeah. Although she, she shows a lot of warmth. To Tyrion now, where she she makes mm. she she makes him hand of the queen, and um, uh, this is it's a really nice it's a really nice exchange between these two, isn't it? And it shows how how in a very short space of time their relationships developed.
1: Yes, yeah, and I think the, uh, this is a testament to how good the actors both are mm. um, that they both kind of um, that they both kind of. They're able to sell this on such little time because mm. it's only an episode ago where Daenerys was turning up and going, "Who the fuck are you?" Yeah. And now, now she's you know made this really nice gesture and made this this kind of brooch thing for him to wear, um, which is exactly the same as the Hand of the King badge that everybody wears in or the, the Hand of the King wears in um, in Westeros. Mm. I did sort of feel like when Tyrion looked down at it though, for all this was a very kind of heartwarming scene. I did almost feel him roll his eyes and go, Oh, this again. You know? <laughs> he could definitely yeah. be forgiven at least for being like can I not just can he not just give me a pension now? Can just give me <laughs> give me give me some land a castle and a load of knights definitely won't try and kill me. Yeah. I will be a very happy man, Milady. You
0: know? <laughs> yeah, I can do the latrines. I did a cracking job with that at Castle Rock. Um <laughs> Yeah. Uh we cut back over to Oh, is back to the twins. For a slice of Frey pie, as Arya takes revenge. Yeah, (laughs) brilliant. So we did.
1: You you work out what was happening here? Because when this this was this was of all the moments in this series in this in this episode where I was like,
2: "It's happening! I can't (laughs) believe it's happening! It's bloody happening!"
1: This was the most because it was just we were talking about the the the, the Frey pie thing. Yeah, and uh, Rat King. Sorry, and um, last week. And I remember thinking it all holds together, and it's lovely, and I bet we'll never see an out of it in the TV series. And yeah. then they did it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to see a full, to disc- so listen to a full discussion of the um, Rat King stroke a pie thing, which happens in the we think happens in the books, um, that's uh, we talked about that at the end of the last episode. But it's basically there's a, there's a there's a story about. Uh, like a, an ancient story about how a uh, a guy baked a prince into a pie, killed him, baked him into a pie, and then fed him to the king, and um, and we think that Mandalay's done something similar in the in the books, um, but here, yeah, Arya does it. So she, she kills the two Frey sons, <laughs> bakes them in a pie, and feeds it to to Walder Walder Frey. Um yeah. there's this moment where, like, yeah, I, I, I realised straight away, because I think it's probably because we talked about it at the episode before, so as soon as I saw the pie, I thought, oh, here we go.
1: Yeah, exactly. That that was another moment where I think I woke people up in my house by laughing
0: so loud. <laughs> and it's that bit where Frey sort of peels back their pastry and just sees a finger in it, in the pie. Um, yeah. And then Classic I, I like- Sweeney Todd shit there. Yeah, yeah. And I like how Aya says, you know, um, I'm a Stark, and the last thing you're going to see is me smiling at you as you die. Um, yeah. fa- fantastic way of her getting revenge, and yeah, um, yeah it just felt like vengeance, didn't it? This.
1: Yeah. Although I will say this, this is one of the first points in this episode, uh, but there are many where I was like, "You've been on a hyperloop, have you?" Somebody installed a, a flipping <laughs> international airport near where you were before, in order for yeah. these scenes to happen in this order.
0: Yeah, yeah. There has been a there is there are a bit of funny timeline shifts going on here, isn't there?
1: Yeah, and fair enough. And I, I actually read an interview with the director where he was like, "Look, if you're thinking about that, then we haven't done that job properly." And it's completely true that it's very narratively satisfying, even mm. if I am a bit like bloody hell, Paris is able to sprint pretty effectively, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, because he makes it all the way back as well, doesn't he? Yeah, um...
1: that was it. I mean, that was the moment for me is right at the end when he's in the back of one of the shots featuring Daenerys the last time I saw him he was in Dawn and I'm like my Westerosi geography isn't fantastic but I'm pretty sure that he wasn't (laughs) supposed to be there yeah
0: yeah Um, we cut out to Sansa in the in the Godswood Um, she's sitting under the tree saying she she always used to come here when she was younger to pray she doesn't do that anymore now Um, Littlefinger comes along to make this proposition basically to say you know let's become Westeros's premier power couple um and yeah. his his big dream is to be on the Iron Throne with Sansa at his side, and that's his motivation for everything. And Sansa basically does a bit of a thanks, but no thanks, and says, "Uh, I, you know, appreciate your support, but she kind of she kind of lets him. She says says no, but without saying definitely not in the future. It's sort of a it's a very soft put down. This isn't it?
2: Yes, yeah, very
0: very much. Um, but do you, I mean do you in terms of his motivations? Where does Littlefinger go from here? Especially considering what happens a little bit later on, um, he's still got yeah. these knights of the Veil vale, hasn't he? And he's going to decide yeah. what to do with them now. He's either join yeah. up with John rather than Sansa, or mm. create some more chaos. Which let's be honest, he just loves doing anyway.
1: He loves a bit of chaos, doesn't he, <laughs> Littlefinger? Um, I think. I, given what he says in in the scene where he says you know you know I, I, I visualise me on the iron throne I ask myself will this decision get me there hmm. um, I think I think he'll go along with John for a while and wait for an opportunity to screw him hmm. um, yeah. I think what will happen is he'll he'll go along with John because he's there and he's won the battle and he's got a lot of cachet with these guys he won the battle and put them all in place you know he's the winner there but he's if I was Cersei, he's the first guy I would go to and say, "Here is an enormous amount of money."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kindly definitely.
1: betray your king, you know. Yeah. Um, and that and that's where it's going to come from because everybody's going to know that little thing is not from the north. He's not to be trusted. He doesn't have this king in the north thing going on. He doesn't swear allegiance um, to the king in the north. Um, and so everybody's going to be like, he's not to be trusted, and Sansa's going to stick up for him. And that's going to be the source of a split mm. between Sansa and Jon, I reckon, the first couple of episodes of the next season.
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting that we saw for the first time the real downside of the way Littlefinger operates, where he says, and I kind of believe it, um, to Sansa, you know, I've, I've I've made it clear that I've pledged my, um, you know, the veil to the Starks now. Um, mm. And Sansa just turned, turns and says, you know, you've pledged your your loyalty to other people before and it's not stopped you serving your own yeah. interests first. And that's the problem, isn't it? If you do constantly shift alliances, your declarations mean less and less every time you do that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um
0: so that's probably one of the things that's now working against Littlefinger. Um we then go up to the beyond the wall. As uh, Uncle Benjamin Cold Hands, if you can call him that, is leading Bran. They've basically got as far as the wall. They sat yeah. next to next to a sort of one of the weirwood trees near the wall. Um, still must be a few miles from the wall because if you remember the when the Night's Watch were their vows in front of the Weirwood tree, they've always got to do a day or so's ride, don't they, down into the yeah. away from the wall. So he's kind of taken them all this way and decided, yeah, that's far enough, can't be asked. <laughs> I'm going I'm off, mate. I just can't deal with these these two teenagers anymore. They won't shut yeah. up. The hormones yeah. are just everywhere. I, I, yeah. I'm out. I'm going to fight some more whites. So Benjen drops him off. And we have um, Bran does his sort of weirwood tree warging thing again. So we get the final bit of the Tower of Joy sequence which we saw episodes ago. Yet another
1: moment where I'm bouncing up and down going, it's
0: happening, it's happening! Yeah, so it's the Promise Me Ned scene where um, Ned goes up to this this tower and sees his sister dying in bed after giving birth to John, effectively. This was really... Considering... um, you know, we said we didn't make a particular. We didn't think it was. We thought it was good, but not not great. The guy who plays Young Ned, um, yeah. and we've not really been introduced to Lyanna Stark before. Um, yeah. Uh, this scene I thought was really affecting. Despite that, I thought it was done so yeah. well. Um yeah. And you really felt sort of how afraid um, the uh, Lyanna was, and how um, how how much it was killing Ned to 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 sort of uh, see what he was seeing. What did you think about
1: yeah. it? Uh, yeah, I agree. It was really powerful, and I thought the guy playing Ned nailed it perfectly. With like, because this is, and we talked about this a bit last week, actually, like where John, you know, this, the whole thing about kind of knightly and chivalrous declarations of vows, and the fact that they, at a certain point, they are kind of ten a penny because you make them whenever the political winds change, mm. um, and and you know, and we had that with John, you know, John saying, "I'll protect you," and then Santa's saying, "No one can protect me." Mm. And John kind of saying it as a matter of form. But here, uh the guy playing young Ned sold it. Like, mm. truly made me believe it when he said, when she said, promise me, Ned. And you just feel him go, can I promise that? Mm. Like, can I, am I able to promise? Because if I do, this is going to change everything. Mm. And she's right that Robert would have killed the kid instantly. Yeah yeah um so he's he really caught between his king who he's just risked his entire life and family and everything to put on the throne he's now caught between his loyalty to him and his loyalty to his to his his sister yeah um yeah and it was powerful and it was done with almost no dialogue yeah absolutely amazing really affecting and i mean i think it's also you know as well as good acting it is also because the whole thing's been structured to lead up to that
2: yeah, um, yeah.
1: So, you know, the power of it was that I understood who that was and why it mattered and what Ned Stark was like and all of that, which is, as well as everything else, a fantastic example of storytelling over hundreds of, well, tens of hours of TV.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right? We, we, which almost nobody's, you know, like that's a callback to the first episode of the first series where all the John stuff was set up and then left, basically.
0: Yeah. 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 And the, the thing, yeah, because it, it really is, this decision of Ned's is a complete betrayal of um of, of robert of his best friend yeah. he he is he's got to by doing this he has to has to completely betray robert and um yeah. i thought it's, it's interesting for two things that one is the um it gives a bit more um extra sort of shading to this whole stuff with robert determined to kill daenerys and the Targaryen children and stuff, and, and Ned flies off the handle in King's Landing, saying you, you you can't kill children, and obviously that part of that is because of his character. Um, you know, he just isn't the kind of guy who would want to sanction that Ned, but also yeah. with this background, the fact that I'd imagine it's always been in the back of his mind where he's, he's kept is kept John alive and kept him quiet because there's this yeah. fear that Robert will kill him, but he probably still still wants to think the best of Robert, his best friend that yeah. he w- when it comes down to it he wouldn't really do that but we just can't take the chance and all this stuff yeah. about assassinate the Targaryens children yeah. makes it absolutely clear that he would kill John in a heartbeat yeah. and no matter how yeah. much you hope he wouldn't be like that it just makes yeah. it clear so that was really nice
1: yes yeah absolutely and you and again I think you saw all of that in this guy's performance yeah. uh, of young Ned you know this realization that he's you know that he's 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 risen up in war to fight alongside Rolf Baratheon, and he believes that still to have been the right thing to do. Mm. But he's, you know, before the rebellion's even really over, or I, I suppose it, it, it ended about five minutes ago when he killed Sir Arthur Dane, mm. um, he's still not, he, he even before it's really over, he's having to confront the fact that the new king may be as bad in many ways as the old king.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. And the, the Sir Arthur Dane stuff is interesting in this context now as well, because it's clear that. The reason he these these two best members of the Kingsguard are here is because Rhaegar knows that once Robert finds out that there's this child, he will have him killed. So they're there yeah. to to protect Jon effectively, and um, they're killed trying to protect him. Yeah. And but then it but then it takes basically Lyanna just begging. And yeah. um, and that actually were sort of having your two greatest swordsmen in the land to protect him fails. Just this one yeah. sister sort of begging for his life succeeds and whatever they were yeah. trying to do. Yeah. It was great. Really great. If um, only they could
1: have got her on the phone.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, no, I know what you're going to say, but just just wait. Here's the phone. Just talk to it.
0: Yeah. This would have been solved with Skype, wouldn't it? They could have just sat down. <laughs>
1: oh, so many issues in Westeros, Matt, would be solved by the invention of the mobile phone.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we have the promise to be Ned thing, and then we cut from this little baby. So you have the close up of the baby, and then it cuts over to um, a close up of John. So just in case you didn't get it, it's definitely John. <laughs> uh. Yeah,
1: yeah, I love that they did that. And they still did it with her whispering though. She doesn't actually say he's called John.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, she whispers it, and then you hear you know he'll kill her for certain. He'll kill him for certain. You know he will. And then yeah. it cuts to John, and you're like, in case you've been struggling to stay up here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, I heard a good yes. good theory about that where They said that, that was probably shot that way to um, because a lot of book readers have figured this out a while back, and they get the yeah. sort of they get to know before everyone else. This dipping the um, the volume, if you like, when she's whispering to Ned gives people just show watchers a chance to get it before it's made obvious. So you yeah. get that sort yeah, of true. experience as well. So was quite and I also well think,
1: this I'm a huge fan of this way of revealing things. Terry Pratchett does this all the time in his books. Hmm. When he's got a big reveal, he, he often won't do it where somebody, he doesn't do it with exposition where somebody says, my God, are you telling me that he's actually <laughs> the king? You know, it just becomes clear because of all the illusions and all the way the plot is structured and and all the ways in which the plot is forming itself around this person that he is indeed the king.
2: Hmm.
1: Um or you know whatever it may be, you know there's there's other ones where, I mean I won't I won't spoil any of it, but like there's a lot of that's the thing Terry Pratchett did a lot of, you know, where the, the reveal actually isn't explicit. Yeah, uh, and I like it much better. It's a really good way of revealing
0: something. Yeah. Um. So so as we say, we cut over to to John. He's sitting in the the great hall as um. All these lords are talking about what we do next, basically. Um, oh, Captain Nobed makes an appearance from the Vale. <laughs> guy, yeah? what's he called? What's he really called? Um, Captain,
1: I, I just know it was Captain Nobed, to be honest with
0: you. <laughs> it's Royce, isn't it? It's, uh, is it Bronze Royce? Oh, yeah, of um, course it is. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. The geezer who was in, um, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And he's saying, right, we've done the job, let's all go home. And uh, it looks like that's going kind to of be the way it goes until... Liana Yes! Yeah! Another moment. <laughs> she, <laughs> she might as well have
1: fan favourite tattooed <laughs> on her forehead, this kid. Hey, yeah. She's got a great opening scene in the, in the episode before last. Mm. She's got the, the most fantastically angry, martial, sulky face you ever <laughs> saw in the Battle of the Bastards episode. And now in this, she looks around at them all and just goes, wankers. <laughs> all of you. It yeah. just calls them all out. Brilliant.
0: I thought this was nice as well because um, as we said last week about how loyalty didn't mean very much in the north, even though everyone talked about it. Um yeah. I like the fact that um the the fact these lords allow um this child to speak like this and are actually shamed into saying yeah we were wrong suggests yeah. that there is more to sort of loyalty up here Insofar as they do fit at least feel bad about it. I get the feeling if if this kid stands up in King's Landing, everyone sort of yeah. looks around and just sort of smirks and says, sort of, so you just you're just naive, you don't really understand how yeah. things really work. Well, Whereas, as
1: indeed Littlefinger does. Littlefinger in yeah. the corner of the scene, yeah. basically sitting there like filled with kind of weird combination of fear and fear and almost like a kid in a candy shop where he's like these should be the easiest people in the world to take advantage of here. Yeah. Like, I should be absolutely on ice in this situation. But on the other hand, they all fight really hard. Yeah. And they're not as stupid as I think they are. And there's an interesting moment there where Littlefinger, it represents King's Landing in that room in a very sudden way of doing things. Yeah. And you just think, are you going to be stupid enough to try it? Because I'm not sure it's going to work out for you. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah but you could you actually yeah you can almost see in this sort of smirk he's almost shaking his head like these guys these people (laughs) he's he's so naive yeah yeah
1: Yeah, but i think it's gonna bite well obviously i hope this obviously because it's the north but but Mm -hmm. i do think there's there's a unity that proceeds from shared humility in this scene where Mm -hmm. i mean the the best example of that is um uh um robert glover played played by sir percy himself (laughs) um uh, Tim mckinnon um, but he does it really well and I think there is the, the reason that there's this huge sense of great unity in the room. I don't think, I didn't have the sense that this was when everybody starts going, the king in the north, the mm. king in the north. You know, I didn't think that they were doing that because the plot demanded at that point there'd be a moment for the strings to swell and for everything to look like it's going to be alright. Mm. I feel like they were doing that because they rediscovered this kind of esprit de corps, yeah. this sense of togetherness. And, and the power that proceeds from that. And I think that's more powerful than Littlefinger thinks it is. I think this is a moment, I really bought this as a moment of like transformative character change for a lot of these dudes, where they're like, yeah, you know what, fuck it. Yes, we are the North and we've done wrong. And, we, and, then, and the whole thing of, it's confession. Hmm. It's confession and repentance and forgiveness. And then unity. And, and you, know, you know, I have a strong sense that some kick-ass stuff could go down here. I really do.
2: Like, if this comes
0: off, amazing. Yeah, it's funny because my first reaction to this—the interesting thing I thought was when someone like Glover stands up and says, "I'm, you know, I'm, I feel dreadful for not standing with you, and uh, you know, all this. I beg forgiveness." And John says, "There's nothing to forgive." And my initial reaction to that was, "Oh, I don't think that's a good idea," yes. Yes, because, because, <laughs> yeah, well, just simply because they've got it surely there's got to be consequences for not backing your um your lord when things are looking difficult because yeah. if you say oh you know you had every reason not to because things were looking bad the next time things are looking bad people will think well we've got to work in our own self-interest here um so I I initially thought, it's a myst- there's got you have to have consequences for for something like that and if i was yeah. one of the you know mormons i'd be thinking well hang on a minute you know <laughs> yeah. uh we th- th- there isn't a parity here um and th- there should be some some difference but at the same yeah. time maybe that's a very sort of kings landing way of looking at it and this it's more like a family in the in the north so you do completely forgive people for doing that I don't know. Yeah. It it depends how how far along you lean towards the ideals around this, which have shown to have been been not as, um, yeah, n- not not as sort of trustworthy as as you maybe would have hoped in the north, and how much yeah. you swing towards the King's Landing way of just being a bit more cynical about it and saying, well, okay, yeah. there's got to yeah. be consequences for the Mandalis and for the Glovers for not doing this, but we'll welcome you back after that. I don't know what yeah. you. T- I don't know what well, you should do here.
1: Yeah, no, I don't know either. I think I think. There's nothing to forgive is good rhetoric but bad politics. Hmm. But I think I think there's I don't think there necessarily needs there doesn't need to be punishment. I think if you if if the if the contrition is sincere, then punishment is purposeless. Hmm. It's you know um, it, it's punitive. What you want is people who are sorry that they screwed you over and willing to be on your side again and are willing to be under your leadership. And if he's got all of those things, then the right thing to do is to be magnanimous. I think, hmm. um, but yeah, you're right, there is a decent question about how many of these people are really unanimous and how many of them started chanting just because that's the way it was clearly going in the room.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was thinking with that chant, they're all going, the king of the north, the king of the north. And I've, I always wonder how that ends. It's like, it slowly dies down and it's like, yeah. right, right uh, pizza or something? <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, if you're wise, you've got somebody in the corner of the room who's ready to strike up a song that everybody knows the words
0: to. <laughs> yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Um but yeah, so that, that's a it's a great moment, isn't it? We've got a new king in the north now. The the one thing that um wonderful,
1: isn't it? I, I I were you were you like I mean, obviously this is really exciting, but I was a bit like, yeah, but he's a bastard, like nobody's gonna it's not gonna fly. You
0: know? Yeah, that that was just about what I was about to say because coming straight off the back of the reveal that he's not actually a Stark. Um <laughs> you, you had a you had a few of these people, a few of these lords, including Mormon, saying you know, he's got Ned Stark's blood in his veins, and this is... A, well, he, you
1: know, has, he has. He is a Stark. He's just descended from a female Stark, right?
0: Yeah, 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 I suppose. But in the terms of, the, like, there always being a Stark in Winterfell, he's not technically a Stark. He's oh, that's a, true. He's a Targaryen. Okay. Um, yeah. But, but, yeah, I mean, just, I think... A few of the comments there just made me just wince a little bit where they're saying, yeah, we'll always follow a Stark and all this. And you're thinking, oh, yeah. he's not.
1: <laughs> Uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, But like you say, he's, all, he's, he's as good as. He's, he's half a Stark still. Yeah, um, exactly.
1: Well, and, and as far as he knows, he is.
0: Yeah. You know? And yeah. actually,
1: is there anybody around who knows this, apart from Brent?
0: Well, exactly, yeah. It'd be weird if no one ever found out, wouldn't it, after this reveal, though? Yeah. Imagine I mean, that. That's it was true. just that's like true, something we knew yeah. and like no one yeah. around John ever found out for the whole series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be weird. Um, So we we scoot down back to King's Landing as uh, Jamie returns and uh, the look of horror on his face when he sees the um the sort of destruction in the city kind of says a yeah. lot, doesn't it? Yeah, um,
1: really, really great. Like fantastic
0: moment. Yeah, and as, as Cersei's being made queen, I like her. There's this mixture of there's the Lannister old Lannister theme, and there's also this music that was playing under um, the Baylor stuff. The when yeah. she blew up the Sept mixed together. I thought that was that was really great. Um, and then there's this like look between Cersei and Jamie which sets up a lot, I think, for next season.
1: Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Well, uh, well, alone. Is it, does it make a lot of sense to you that Cersei ends up on the throne here? Because what there should be is complete chaos, and she's recent—you know, like she's recently lost a lot of power. She still has the mountain, and that's it. Mm. But I suppose has she blown up all of her opposition? Anybody who was in the city who would have gone? No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope.
0: Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's basically just might is right, isn't it? And she doesn't and really have really much of a claim. Because nobody else is there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and she's the one thing you will say about Cersei is she knows how to move quickly with things like this and so that's obviously that's happened again but yeah i'm sure there's one or two people in the corner just thinking is this is this legit is she (laughs) i don't really understand how this has worked but okay right she's the queen okay yeah um but yeah then we, we cut back out to um to the sea as uh the the ships this is the second oh it's on moment as um daenerys is on her Ahead of her yeah. uh, massive fleet sailing over towards Westeros, you've oh, got
1: oh, it's on here, Matt.
0: Yeah, you've got loads of Targaryen ships. It's quite nice, nice touch. You've got a, a few Dawn and uh, Tyrell ships amongst them as well, and Varys. And you've got dragons swooping around, and Dothraki, and <sighs> Unsullied, and just thinking, oh, here we go.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah it really is. It's like, oh, here goes. <laughs> Amazing stuff.
0: Brilliant. Yeah, and so, so ends. I mean, I'm I'm going to call it here and say this is the this is the best episode yet. I think of the um of the whole series. I think it's been absolutely outstanding that episode. Every single scene for for sort of a breadth. Yeah. I mean, some, there's been some great episodes which are just focused on one thing, but I yeah. felt with this one, every scene you go to has been well worth a watch as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Actually,
1: I was going to say I think the Battle of the Bastards is is better structured. Because it tells one story, whereas this just tells a load of things that make no sense whatsoever to you unless you've watched 69 hours or 59 hours of TV so far. Yeah, yeah. I would say. But because I have, because I've read the books as well, it was so satisfying, Matt. It was so satisfying. Because so much of the storytelling style of this TV series and this book series has been, wait, 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 wait. And then it all comes together in this one episode, and you're like, "Yes!" He's <laughs> uh, it's a feeling of enormous relief. Yeah. Um, but but it, yeah, I feel like the Battle of the Bastards may be the better episode as as, as storytelling.
0: Um, mm. Well, we uh, shall we but, shall ag- we shall yeah. agree to. I mean, it's, a, it's sort of a it's it's always a sort of a daft argument to have with things like things like that, isn't it? Because yeah. I no, have a
1: mathematic proof for the no, best yeah. episode
0: how so it feels for you, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we can definitely say as well a great sort of ending to the series in terms of the last few episodes that we've seen as well. Um, mm. It's been it's been a great series, and it does yeah, it does yeah. set things up, doesn't it, for the next for the next season? I can't, I'm really looking forward to oh, it. My,
1: I mean, let me count the ways: John is king in the North, Arya is back in Westeros and killing people, <laughs> um, uh, Sansa's back on a weird, you know building castles in the snow vibe with Littlefinger. Um, uh, Daenerys is on a boat. Uh, a, you know, a, 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 an alliance of High Highgarden and the Targaryens has been brokered by Varys, who is moonwalking his way across this entire political landscape by the way, <laughs> and fucking loving it. Tyr- Tyrion's back on it. There's a massive hole in the middle of King's Landing where half of the characters used to be, and... <laughs> Jamie is looking at Cersei with a look in his eyes that goes, "Really, <laughs> really." As Cersei sits on the Iron Throne, it is fucking on. And
0: don't don't forget the Hound as well, joined up with the uh, Brotherhood oh, yeah. and disappeared for two two weeks, but he'll be back, I assume.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. yeah fantastic, fan, dabby dozy. So, <laughs> so that's um, that brings to an end our um, our coverage of season six. Uh, we will return with um, either, depending on what happens first, the uh, the next series or hopefully the next book. Hopefully hopefully it won't be released in the next month or so because we do need a break yeah. from Game of Thrones. Probably
1: need a bit of a palate cleanser now, eh?
0: <laughs> um, but all we've got left is there's a little bit of uh, spoiler stuff to to round off with a bunker full of spoilers, so we'll do that after the yeah. music. So Cracking. if you want to stick around for you, a little bit of bonus content, there isn't much left to, to do with that, but um, there is a little bit. So we'll pick through the rubble of the bunker full of spoilers um, after this. Brilliant. Oh dear, that door is <laughs> screwed. It's it, it's basically on one hinge. The doors of the bunker full of spoilers as we kick our way in, and there's not much of the roof left. There are a couple of walls. It's basically it's basically a mess. This place now. Um yeah. there are a couple of shelves still standing, um, and we can probably pick through the remains of a few of these boxes. But um, there isn't much left to talk about in terms of spoilers, as uh, as you may have picked out from that rather strange analogy I've just created um,
1: Don't walk back from it mate. it was glorious from yeah. the sound effect on through work <laughs> of art mate, work of art
0: So let's have a look, so we've got a few things here we've got one called Sons of the ID which is basically um, a few tattered sort of half pages of that left because it's basically over um, <laughs> there's, there's Riding the Dragon which is relatively interesting and there's The Roos is Loose which again Interesting, but considering he's dead in the series, um, makes it maybe a little bit after the Lord Mayor's show. But we can talk about any of those. Which ones do you want to do first?
1: Oh Lord! Um, well, do you know what? I, I feel like I feel like they're all in such disrepair <laughs> that I want you to pick the one that you're either most sad about or most hopeful still has some juice left in it.
0: Well, let, let's get Sons of the Idea out the way because this is a bit of a non-event now. So this is um, who's really the harpy. Um, oh, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. Uh, the idea being, there was this—there que- was this question, probably uh, would have been really interesting at the start of this series. Before um, it was clear that it's clear that in the series, the the masters of Young Kai and Volantis are-, are behind the sons of the harpy, aren't they? The slave owners. Um, yeah, that's definitely the case in the series. May well be the case in the books. Um, in fact, from what we've read in the books, it's going that way as well, isn't it? Um, yes. But there were some theories around, was Hisdar behind it all? Um, I, I think it's increasingly looking like Hisdar wasn't behind it. I don't know what you think.
1: Yeah, or well, at the very least that Hisdar in the TV series was a fairly insignificant kind of cat's paw yeah. of, of, of of the Masters, rather than being the guy who really masterminded the thing. Because he was, I mean, he was well played by the bloke who played him, but he was useless, basically. He was, he was he was there to be ineffective, slimy, oleaginous, and then dead. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you know, one of the big theories was um, that Dario was actually behind it, <laughs> which is a really one. Yeah, I think. Had, I'm be, sorry,
1: that's nonsense.
0: <laughs> that would be the ultimate sort of twist, wouldn't it? The idea being that he um, his background was he grew up as a. Um, It was like giving his freedom in the fighting pits and all this stuff. To be honest, you can probably tell my heart's not really in this because it's so obvious that you know the the story's moved on, hasn't it, beyond the sons of the harpy?
1: Yeah, Um, I mean, and and this was this was kind of my problem with the whole of the marine thing is that it was clear that we were always going to get to this point where Daenerys was going back to Westeros because Westeros is what we've been asked to care about this whole time. Yeah. Um, So everything that was going on in marine, like any any plot any story theory or whatever fan theory was trying to get off the ground in the I was just like I don't fucking care you know what <laughs> I mean it's like, it's like asking me to care about like what shape glass I get my drinks in at the interval like yeah. I, I don't care like that's not what I'm here for you know
0: yeah yeah um, I, I reckon Sir Barristan was behind since the harpy. <laughs> <laughs> Playing the long game. <laughs> <laughs> that would be
2: awful, wouldn't it? Bloody
0: hell! Who could be the most ridiculous person to be ha- Moon Boy? I reckon Moon Boy was behind it. <laughs> oh, just... be. All
1: right, Pod for the Iron Throne and the Harpy is Moon Boy. Those, those are <laughs> our two mental bits.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Should we move on to? Um, to the the Roose is loose theory. This is um uh, this is da. Is Roose
2: loose about this horse? <laughs> this oh,
0: is um, this is obviously Roose Bolton in the series is dead now. He's he's still alive in the books, but um uh, this theory is still great, just for how just crazy it is. So the idea being, we've we've touched on it before, that Roose Bolton, far from being, you know, a human, is in fact a vampire. <laughs> <sighs> Do you, do, you me, do you want me to go through the reasons why Roose Bolton is definitely a vampire and not like I a I re- would
1: be overjoyed, Matt, if you okay. went through the reasons. Because I'm sure they're compelling and in no way a forced stretch, which basically <laughs> require me to have been up for four days binge watching Game of Thrones while smoking <laughs> an industrial quantity of very strong marijuana and eating nothing but Cheez Its to understand. I'm sure that they are great.
0: Well, may I turn you to Exhibit A? Bruce Bolton never drinks wine. He's been offered it a number of times, um, and whenever someone offers him it, he kindly refuses. Uh, vampires tend to never drink anything except for blood. He he's always drinking what he calls hypocris, Hippocris? hypocris. Hi- yeah, I guess. Yeah, basically sort of sweetened wine, I think. Yeah. But um, but maybe this is actually blood because he's the only person who's drinking it. And, well,
1: um, well, and they do flame men, don't they? Maybe that's exactly. where all the blood's coming from. Uh,
0: well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. But
1: but but I, I would say there, Matt, that that does rather revolve around the idea that it's not possible in Westeros to be abstemious, or indeed to have come through a hard time with alcohol and come out the other side <laughs> and be count, proudly counting the days of your sobriety. And I think this, this, this theory is offensive to me. <laughs> I'll tell you. Offends me is what it does. Fascins. Okay, then.
0: Exhibit B, I, th- I think Exhibit B is slightly shakier. Um, so, <laughs> so this is they, they've both described as, as, as having both Ramsey and Ruth Bolton described as having particularly pale skin, and um, we never see them moving around in bright sunlight. It's always like cloudy, or they're inside.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That's nothing to do with the fact that. Winter is coming, which I believe has been something of a, a, a leitmotif of this series. Oh, yeah, the thing that literally everybody says.
0: Yeah, and to be honest, he, Bruce Bolton was out campaigning in the Riverlands, and I'd imagine he'd have got at least one sunny day, and I would imagine he just sort of stayed in his tent. Yeah, just or it, does,
1: it, it ruins the sort of I'm a badass that will strip your skin from your flesh and then, you know, fuck you up even more image if you go into battle under a parasol. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, exhibit C is um in the books, one of the punishments that we read about that Roos um, has been has been doing and has done in the past is a technique of impaling people basically up through the up through the ass, through the mouth. Um yeah. which is obviously utterly horrific. But is also something that was famously done by uh, in real life by yes. Vlad the Impaler who was Known as Dracula in the 1300s, so I mean, there's, and I think that's where the stake through the heart thing comes from as well. Um, Maybe,
1: although the the direct link between the geezer who in history was called Dracula and the whole myth of a blood-sucking aristocrat is (laughs) is not terribly clear. No, no. No, It's like saying he also Bruce Bolton also eats his dinner at night. Tell you who else ate his dinner at night, eh? Vampires. Mm? Mm? <laughs> yeah.
0: Need I say more? But it, it, it is a famous feature of Vlad the Impaler, who became known as Dracula, so if you were to make a nod towards a vampire it would be an interesting way to do it as an author. So, I think this might be I think that's a stronger... Yeah, that's as a, true but if he,
1: if, if he is going to put even more flipping undead types in this story, I'm going <laughs> to
0: so the idea is that Roos is waging a multi-generational war against the Starks. He's playing a long. This is why he plays the long game, and he's very um, strategic. Um, yeah. Exhibit D is his his uh, his love of leeching. He's always been leached in the books, isn't he? Um, yeah. And this could be um, because he has he poor. His own blood. Well, not maybe, or maybe he has poor circulation because he's hundreds of years old and he's a vampire, so he has the leeching to. Stop you know um, blood from pooling in his hands and feet as you would sort of if you see him with cold hands because he's not really alive anymore.
1: It, mm. Interesting. Although this is a this is a fan theory which has now reached for leeches as an actually useful medical thing <laughs> to support itself. And I'm pretty certain that's a theory that was disproved by
0: 1602. Yeah. So, well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exhibit where are we? E. There's two more. Um, this, is, this is quite interesting. So the Game of Thrones universe has already established that cured skin can be used to magically take the appearance of another person, a la, you know, mm-hmm. the, um, the faceless men. Yeah. Um, Roose Bolton is described um, as if he, almost as if he's wearing a mask. Uh, only, he, only his eyes moved. They were very pale, the colour of dirty eyes. So could he be wearing a, a face, basically? Well,
1: it could be, but we haven't had that description made of anybody who is a who's a faceless man before. The whole point of the faceless men is that their masks are lifelike and full, you mm-hmm. rather than being like like bad CGI. Like, oh yeah, no, you can definitely see that he's not moving his face at all, is he? Mask on that one. Faceless man, Avin. Yeah. That's Wouldn't a good work, would it?
0: That's a good point. The, the the final one, um exhibit F is uh now, this is, I think I have to take this one on trust a little bit because I haven't read a lot of the sort of world of ice and fire stuff. But um, yeah. apparently, there's little mention of Roose's ancestors in the books, which is unusual considering the fact that each volume contains a 100 page appendix laboriously detailing the family trees of each of the houses. Maybe yeah. Roos only has one branch because he's been tooling around for f- the five kingdoms for centuries. And, <laughs> and it explain why he keeps his crazy son Ramsay around. Um, I mean there's maybe uh, I think this is one of those ones where if you squint hard enough you could make a case but it's unlikely for me
1: no yeah I agree with you also unless that knife that Ramsay used was wood he should still be alive like he should have literally if he was a vampire he should have come back up from the floor during that scene and gone you're out of
2: luck (laughs) sunny boy
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it should have at least sort of just burst into a lot of dust when when he plunged the dagger in.
1: Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, I want some of that stuff. I also want whenever he's caught in dramatic winter sunlight for him to hiss a bit and then move away from the window, <laughs> which I haven't seen.
0: Yeah. And uh, i tell you what. Do you know when Ramsey was... He was shaving Ramsay's, um at the st- like start of one of the episodes. It would have been quite cool if like you didn't see his reflection in the mirror. That'd be
1: uh, yeah, there's all sorts of ways in which this would have been great, but they didn't do any of it. means I'm sort of minded to say yeah. that,
2: you
0: know. Yeah. Okay, let's have a very quick chat about the final one then, which is um, called Riding the Dragon. This is the idea that eventually, when we go back to Westeros, which we're about at the stage now when Daenerys Returns, um, mm the there will be three there's this pr- the prophecy was there, there'll be three heads of dragons that will mm-hmm. take you onto the iron throne so the mm-hmm. idea is that each one of these three dragons is going to be ridden by somebody so mm-hmm. we can assume Daenerys is one mm-hmm. but who rides the other two dragons um any theories from you first and i'll say well, a few of the ones that have been put forward
1: tyrion surely tyrion mm. if we've got this tyrion can deal with dragons thing and they've set that up with a scene yeah, Tyrion all the friggin' way. Um, that builds it. That builds into
0: Tyrion. Tyrian maybe a Targaryen thing as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, that, that's that. He's definitely on one of them. Hmm. Um, the other one, oh, I tell you what, flipping Barristan. Not yeah, <laughs> yeah, Barristan because uh, he's got the stone disease, right? So he's not going to get burned by the thing either.
0: Oh, so you mean uh, Jorah?
1: Jorah. Who did I say? Sir Barristan.
0: Barristan, <laughs> Fucking hell good like, thing. No. Sec no. secret secret leader of the Sons of the Harpy Sebariston. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Deary me. No, um, um Yeah. Uh, no Jorah. Fucking hell. That's the a good shout, yeah. All the names. Yeah, but you can see it happening, couldn't you? I mean it didn't happen in the book, so I don't mm. know how that's gonna play out, but that would be that would be a justification for the two, wouldn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah. Um a few other people put forward. I mean Varys has been put forward. I don't really see that. Um, right, he's got
1: the moist skin of a mermaid.
0: He? <laughs> yeah, you I'm going to keep yeah. plugging away
1: at that because that is the most ludicrous piece. Of...
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, another one is uh, Prince the Prince Aegon character who isn't in the series at the moment so it's kind of hard to see how he would yeah. in the series. But in the books, possibly, he's the other Targaryen. So you've got three Targaryens controlling dragons if you go for secret Targaryen, Tyrion version Prince Aegon yeah. and Daenerys. So that could mm-hmm. be one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, could be. Oh no, uh, John! John, clearly, John.
0: John ah, was yeah, this is another Rhaegon, one.
1: Who was also a Targaryen? There you go, Bosh.
0: Yeah, so it could easily be John, John for, for those reasons. Dany. Although it's, you know, I, I find it hard to think of how we get to the point where John climbs on the back of a dragon. Um, it's mm-hmm. going to take a fair bit of setup, isn't it?
1: Well, I would have, I would have thought a week ago that we'd find it hard for me to get to a point where the High Septon flipping all of the. All of the Highgarden crew flipping all of this Faith Militant and every corpse that's been interned in King's Landing for the last hundred years was turned into vapor.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, You do a absolutely. lot in a single episode, Matt.
0: <laughs> um, the other suggestion is um, maybe the third Dragon Rider doesn't physically ride the dragon, but walks into it and therefore Bran Stark oh, could be the third. Oh,
2: that'd
1: be a good one, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, that's a good show, isn't it?
1: Yeah, 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 that'd be quite interesting.
0: Um, so, so you'd have sort of a third dragon from from that perspective. Um, the uh, the the only other name I've got here as a serious suggestion is Euron, uh, Greyjoy, and this is because I mean, before the sheer you, before
1: power you... of the salt water in his
0: trousers. Well, well, from the books' perspective, he has got this dragon horn, hasn't he? Which um, which killed that guy oh, to blow. Yeah. So there is a case to say that he um, he could have power, some power over the dragons. Maybe. Um, working against Daenerys um, if she's not going to sort of go along with him. I can see that happening where she thinks that this is going to be a straight victory when she goes up against Euron, but he's got yeah. this secret weapon. I see that much more realistically in the books, though, as the series, because there's been no mention of this in the series. So if he just turns up next series with this dragon horn thing, it's yeah. going to feel a bit shit, isn't it?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely, yeah. Well, um, I always thought that horn wasn't going to be significant for controlling a dragon, but was going to be significant for bringing down the wall because they've set up the fact that one of the things we didn't talk about this episode is the cold hands thing, Hmm. Benjen, where they stop and Benjen goes, right, the wall's over there, and they go, you're not coming with, and he goes, no, can't do it. That's Hmm. what keeps, you know, the wall's there, it's thick, there's spells in it, keeps me away, keeps everybody away, keeps all the walkers, the, the white walkers out. Yeah. Done. Which is actually a fairly anticlimactic thing to say because they've been setting up this whole coming battle thing, and then a character basically goes, There is literally no way those two armies would ever, ever meet, ever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so clearly, what that's actually doing is setting up the fact that the wall's going to fall down. Mm. And so I've always thought that the horn that they had wasn't a dragon thing, it was the horn of whoever it was that somebody claimed to have destroyed but actually didn't, that yeah. is capable of bringing down the wall.
0: Yeah, you just have to blow it near the wall.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, oh, that's what happens though, Matt, isn't it? Euron turns up, filled with his own piss and vinegar, looking for a way to beat everybody, and goes, ha-ha, you're out of time, losers. I've got this massive horn, and I'm going to use it to control your dragon. And everybody's like, fucking no! (laughs) And then it falls down, and then it's on, and that's the start
0: of the second to last episode. Yeah. See, the, the thing I thought about the when Benjen says that, I thought the I think the way the wall is going to come down, or is going to be um, that magic's going to be nullified, is this was the same thing that was happening up at the tree, where nobody could get in because of this magic, and then Bran was touched by the Night King, and that broke the spell. And I wonder if Bran goes through the wall having been touched by the Night King is that oh, going to basically end that spell. And I kind of think that's yeah. probably going to be how it happens. Yeah. But I don't know for sure. Interesting. I quite yeah. like, I like the idea of just Euron doing it, though, just because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. <laughs>
1: yeah, just yeah, absolute, like, total scally behaviour. Just sort of knobbed sort of that kicks off in every pub at <laughs> sort of 10 o'clock on a Friday night. <laughs> fucking, fucking, fucked a lot of you. all have got a big fucking knife over here. I <laughs> ain't want some? want That, but with the end of the world.
0: Yeah. Being yeah like Donald
1: Trump having control of nuclear weapons. <laughs> Satire
0: And on that bombshell <laughs> Uh we, we come to the end of our um discussion of uh the discussion of what is it? Game of Thrones, that was it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um we will return with Game of Thrones, obviously, when the next instalment comes out, be it book or series. So, yeah, well, so that will mean that this is us done now um, for, the, for the Game of Thrones coverage until it comes back. Run a
2: marathon now. Run a marathon.
0: <sighs> yeah, um, until obviously we get the next book or the next uh, series. But um, in the meantime, we are going to be doing a few other books. Um, it's just about coming up to our summer break, as, uh, as, we, often, as we always do. Uh, we take a few weeks off in the summer. So we're going to be returning probably sort of mid-August, with um with a new book. In the meantime, um keep an eye on our Twitter at Shark Live um and we will sort of let you know what book we're going to do next. If you've got any suggestions for books that you'd like us to cover, then by all means send them to Sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's Sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we will let you know um, in the next couple of weeks which one we're going to do. And uh, the podcast will return in August. Yeah. Uh, but until then, Dave Have a nice little time off. Try and come to terms with the uh, the fact that thrones is a big part of a big part of our lives removed. As the game is paused. (laughs) That's
1: the least dramatic thing you could possibly say after saying the game in that voice (laughs) is paused. (laughs) It's paused. Pause. Like pausing in the middle of a fight scene. Don't do it. Don't
0: do it. Yeah. Well, until then, um, have a great summer, everybody.